from Relay FM, this is Connected, episode 142. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace and PDF Pen 9 from Smile. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen Hackett. Hello, Michael Hurley. And the man of the hour, Mr. Federico Vatici. Ciao, Federico. Ciao a tutti. Hello. Hi. Wow, that was a lot. That was a lot in that. It was really not not a lot. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Uh, <laughs> a little tired, but also happy that it <laughs> that it's over <laughs> again. So Federico yeah. published a really big article today um, and video, and we're going to talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit later on in the show. But before we do, uh, Stephen requires that we discuss follow-up as part follow-up. of his official contract that he signed. It's, yeah, I wrote it, and then I signed it, and it's just uh, me. In crayon. Crayon, come on. Come on, man. So... We've spoken a lot about Amazon's new Echoes, The Look, which has a camera and is all about fashion, and then the Echo Show, which is an Echo with a screen, and so it can display you information. It's a touchscreen. You can interact with it. That ships, as we've discussed, in like six weeks or so, the very end of June. But there's been a lot of conversation around a sort of thing they slipped into all of this, and it's in existing Echoes as well in the app. Um, Amazon kind of launched a messaging platform, so... It works a couple of different ways depending on what devices you have. So I have an Echo Dot, for instance, here on my desk, just right there, a couple feet away. And I can send voice messages and receive voice messages through it or through the application. And if, for instance, Federico sends me one, the Echo will blink. The ring around it turns green. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't know what that meant. And so I, I just asked the Echo blank why are you green and it told me which is kind of an uh, amazing moment of like oh it really understood what i meant but there's been a lot of concern about privacy and and like there's some weirdness here um there's an article over on the verge outlining some of this uh, more or less when you open the 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 new echo app on your iphone which has been redesigned it's way nicer now and you have to upload all your contacts and it looks those contacts up it says, these people have echoes. You can talk to these people. Obviously, that's not super great, but a lot of people are doing it. Um, I did it. Like, I, I give them my contacts. Sorry if you're on my contact list. Sorry, but, contacts. Sorry, contacts. But I want to see what this what this was like and be able to talk about it. But there's no way to block communication at this point that you don't want. So if someone is sending you messages and you don't want to hear from them uh, or they're being – uh, inappropriate or they're harassing you there's no way to block those people as long as somebody has your phone number and this echo mobile app then they can reach you it's interesting that i don't see it in my application like i can't see anything that talks about messages i think it's us only feels like it must be us only there you go yeah then. yeah yeah so the so i guess the the story here is i mean obviously there are issues with this and there should be a way to block people. Some people have said it's a problem that anyone with your phone number can message you through this thing. And like, I don't see Mm. a huge problem with that because if someone has your contact information, they can call your phone or send you an iMessage or send you an email. Yes. It's weird that the echoes in your kitchen is going to light up green and make a noise. Like that's a little bit different, but I do think they definitely need some mechanism to say, Hey, this person, I do not want this person to be able to contact me via uh, the echo. Yeah, I think that's the problem, really. It's not about anyone can contact you because, you know, anyone can call me if they have my phone number. 
and anyone can text me, anyone can come to my house and ring the doorbell. I don't think that's a problem. The problem is the kind of action that you can take to prevent that from happening over and over. So if someone comes to my house and rings my doorbell every five minutes, I'm going to go downstairs and take care of that. And if anyone starts calling me on my iPhone, I'm just going to block the number. Here on the, in the Alexa app, there's no way to block anyone. And I think that's a problem. Because, uh, you know, with these communication systems where there's no two-way authentication, you know, you have my phone number, you can call me. Uh, and this is the same concept. You have my phone number, you can ring my, uh, my uh, Echo speaker. But there's no blocking UI, there's no blocking feature. And I think Amazon needs to add that and needs to, you know, add settings to prevent people from being called all the time. I think it makes sense. And I'm not sure how you can ship a communication product today and not think of the blocking system. That Just because anyone, uh, you know, it's going to ask them today and it just doesn't make any sense to me. I'm so surprised that Amazon had this kind of oversight. So two things. One, uh, they said that they're going to add it, right, after this story kind of caught a bit of heat. They said, we're sorry, we're working on it. The other thing, I've been thinking a lot about this. I My initial point was, or my initial feeling was definitely the same as you guys. It's like, it, you know, this is just the way things are now. People can just contact you. If they, if you give someone your contact information, right, they yeah. can contact you however. I'll tell you the thing that's that I've been thinking about that, that, that that's been playing on my mind a little bit when you bought when everybody bought the amazon echo mm. they didn't think it would ever do this mm-hmm. there was never an idea that this was going to be a device that people could start calling you on i don't think mm. anybody considered that as an option and obviously amazon didn't say it so you bought this device and put it into your home if you are a type of person who just do- doesn't want this well, this is really frustrating because yes. now this device yeah. has been updated without your desire and now people can start calling you on it. That is like, true. That that's yeah. I think that's the problem where it's like I I was thinking like, well look, every service now, like, you know, people can contact you. But like if you think about how you do this, you download the applications, right? Or whatever, or you have a phone and you know that your phone is a communications device, that's why you bought it, and any communication apps you put on it will allow for people to communicate you with you. But when we brought these canisters, these echoes, and put them in our homes, they were purely, I'm going to communicate with you and you'll talk to Amazon. No one was ever talking back to me, but now people can start calling me. And it's not just on the Echo Show, right? Which is like, okay, if this new product has the calling in it, then you know. But everybody's echoes were updated silently, right? And now people can start calling you. That That's the thing that I, I find is different because it's it's kind of like Trojan horsed this messaging system um, mm. in into the product, which which I think is one of the difference makers of it. Yeah, yeah, that's that, a good point. That, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, especially you know you you buy a device with some kind of expectation, and then you know the the Echo is the type of hardware that updates itself. You cannot even decide. Oh, I don't want this update. Like I know people, for example, who the iOS interface changes and people do not update because mm-hmm. they don't want the changes. Yeah. Your changes are pushed upon you. I would like it if you could just say, like, turn it off. I don't want people messaging me. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. just a broad switch to just turn it off. Because you shouldn't necessarily force this on people, right? Like, it's not... 
I don't think Amazon's looking to change the world with this thing. They basically were trying to add a feature to their new camera device. And then they just said, well, we can just do this everywhere. On the drop-in, right. by the way, uh, Amazon published a really good like demo video. And I think this one was significantly better than the original Echo video, um, where they were kind of showing off what the device could do. And they showed some of the drop-in feature, right? You know, I, I had problems with that drop-in feature last week. And it looks like that when you go to drop-in on someone, um, they see like a blurred, a really blurred view. So they can't just see you automatically and you get the ability to, to stop it from happening. Like you can mm. say like, no, like don't, don't let the Go person drop away. in. Yeah. Mm. And, and it, so I, I think, okay, that looks much better than, than the, like the original way that I thought it was going to be. Where it's people like could some, just like a face appears. Yeah. Like they could just like, like you're, you're doing whatever you're doing and then your grandma's just like looking at you. Yeah, right, it's like, like mm-hmm. it's like the Harry Potter scene when Sirius Black appears in the fireplace. Exactly, it is just <laughs> like that. You know, funnily <laughs> enough, that was what I thought of when I first saw it. Uh, so yeah, I think I think that that's that good. And we should watch a video. I haven't seen a video; it's like a five minute video. And uh, I think Amazon does a really good storytelling here. Like they they really have a a good way of showing how the product can be used. And they have uh, something that I like more in this video than the previous video, a bunch of different families and people, so it can show different use cases. Um, and it's pretty funny too, so it's, it's worth watching. But it's good just to get a little bit more context around what drop-in's all about. Yeah, it, it uh, it's just a, a weird addition, I think. The more I think about it, to, to have it in the app and everywhere. Uh, and I think a part of that too we haven't really mentioned is that the, the Echo, at least for those of us who live with other humans, is is not necessarily like a personal device, right? Like it, it. I ask it something. My kids ask something. My wife wants it to start a song. You know, we're all using it for different things, and it's not. Yes, it's tied to certain, you know, things of mine. But my kids don't know that they can add things to my to do list from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just pray for me if that ever happens. But it <laughs> is a it's a communal device, and messaging by default, is a very private thing. And so I, even though, you know, the, the, my nerd friends who have Echoes, who we've been playing with it this week, I know, I trust them, they're not going to send something terrible to me over the Echo messaging app. But if they did, I've got a house full of children. And like, you know, there, there's that aspect of it too, that you're right, Mike, that it's sort of Trojan horsed in there, but it's also weird because it's it takes something, personal communication and puts it, you know, potentially in a, a non-personal environment. I think that's a little weird too. So uh, we should move on. Uh, we have a link in the show notes to the Relay.fm blog. We have launched two new shows this week. Uh, the first is called Roboism. It is by Alex Cox. You may know Alex from things like Cards Against Humanity or Do By Friday, a podcast that's really great. And her co-host, Savannah Million, they talk about robots, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and how all of that stuff affects our culture I think uh, for me, at least, I think about sort of the stuff is like kind of out there in the future. But the reality is this stuff is now here in the present. And Alex and Savannah talk about that. It's a fortnightly show. Uh, It will be – it's a lot of fun. Episode one is out now. We also launched Originality. So Aline Sims, who used to host um, Less Than or Equal on the network, she's back with a new show with Kay Tempest Bradford. Uh, Tempest is an author, uh, and they together are interviewing creatives about – like the where's, how's, and why's of of creative genius, like where ideas come from and how you work on those ideas into like a finished work. 
and it's a really fun format. They're interviewing people, and then they, they like jump in and talk about the interview and go back to it. Uh, really nicely edited. They're doing a really nice job in the production. Uh, if you enjoyed Mike's old interview show, which had like six names over the years. <laughs> I don't know why you have to be that way. <laughs> uh, if, if you like that sort of programming, I think you will you would enjoy originality. It's also fortnightly, so neither of those are weekly. you got plenty of time to get them in your schedule. Both and uh, yeah, go check them out. And while we're on the news front, continuing the year of live that we've spoken mm-hmm. about, there's going to be a, a London meetup, a London-based meetup uh, for two-thirds of the Connected podcast on Friday, June the 2nd. Uh, it's going to be the first link in the show notes this week will be to get yeah. tickets if you want to go get tickets. Me and Federico are going to be in town mm-hmm. um, back at the Big Chill House on Friday, June the 2nd from 7 to 10 p.m. The tickets are free, uh, so you can go and sign up and come along and say hi to us as uh, we get prepared to head off to San Jose mm. the next day. Yeah, last year was awesome. It was. It was. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know... It was uh, actually, I think, my first time meeting uh, any kind of podcast listener, and mm-hmm. it just made it so real. And everyone, everyone was so happy and so kind. It was, it was one of the highlights of my entire trip to WWDC. So I cannot wait to do it again, and I'm very happy that we're doing it again. So if you want to be a highlight of Federico's trip, come get a ticket and hang out <laughs> with us in London. Yeah. The we have limited availability, and they're going to go quick. So if you're listening to this episode and you want to come, click that link right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will not be there. No, that yeah. day is actually my ten ten year wedding anniversary. So we're congratulations all around. Then it's, yeah. So you guys have your meetup. I'm, Can we buy a, a ticket to that also? Even <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> uh, moving on. That's <laughs> moving. Like, will you be right inviting on. listeners along to your dinner or anything? Or no? <laughs> yeah. Oh, real good. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> We'll be at this bed and breakfast. Please don't come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll give you the, the link so you can stay away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, we have sort of a mini topic before we get in, and this has been floating in our document for a while, so my apologies to listener Jessica. She wrote this in weeks ago, but we're f- finally getting to it, and I thought it'd be an interesting conversation in light of what we're going to talk about today with iOS 11. And so Jessica writes, what's going on with the iPod Touch? We have two in our household for the kids, and they are aging. I assume she means the iPod, the iPod's Touch are aging and not the kids. Maybe both. Both. Uh, yeah. But we're not going to replace them again, hopefully talking about the iPod Touch. But we're not going to replace them with something last updated in 2015. It's got an AA chip, but is that good enough these days? Should we get that new cheap iPad and move on from this? What's the deal, Apple? So... I agree with Jessica that this is weird. You know, there's the $329 iPad. Um, the The iPod Touch is older. It, it got that update, but it's still like the smaller screen size and cameras aren't as good. And it just really seems like it's fallen from grace over the years. What do you guys think? Uh, I think that if you're interested in having this kind of device today, that you're better placed with an iPad of some kind. I I really don't think that the iPod Touch is long for this world, honestly. I, I, I can't see it. Yeah. I mean, mm. they are cheaper. They can start at 199 for yep. the 16 gig. Sure. But uh, I agree with you. Like, you know, when they, when they first announced it, the world was very different, right? The iPhone was basically only on AT&T and only in the United States. But that's not the case anymore. The iPhone is everywhere. The iPad didn't exist. It exists now. 
And I think just those devices have really squeezed the iPod Touch sort of out of out of the line almost. Mm-hmm. That it's still around, but it feels like it's a legacy product. And you know, the the days are gone where the iPod Touch was as good as the newest iPhone all the time. I mean, I'm looking at in Mac Tracker, and they released an iPod Touch like every September for several years, and then it just slowly, you know, those gaps got wider and wider, and now it's been coming up on two years. I think the moral of the story is probably probably don't buy one. Is my thought. Mm-hmm. That's what I would yeah, say. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't buy an Apple Touch. I mean, just get an iPad Mini, I guess. What's the difference in in price again? The, the iPad Mini is like four ninety three ninety nine or four ninety nine. I'm looking. If it's three ninety nine, that's you know seventy dollar difference. I mean, you get you know games would be bigger and the screen would be slightly bigger. I mean, not slightly, but still not as huge as an iPad Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I I, w- I wouldn't get an iPod Touch. I would just reuse iPad Minis and maybe iPad Airs, if you can yeah. maybe get a refurbished model uh, of those. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the iPad Mini, I remember now, they only sell one model. It's the 128 gig for 399 And so mm. if you, you know, from the base iPod Touch to the Mini is a big jump, but that cheap iPad and like you said, yeah. maybe refurbished iPads are in there in the middle somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what you should probably do. Yes. So I, think that's, I think that's our collective advice is say goodbye to the iPod Touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, who knows, right, what, what they might end up doing with it. But I'm just saying I would be really surprised if it was anything other than silently going away. Yeah. I mean, you know, another thing would be if you really like that size, um, for, I'm sure that you could probably get relatively cheap iPhones, right, like 5Cs and 5Ss and stuff like that, which might stick around yeah. for a little bit longer. Um, and just, you know, just don't put SIM cards in them and, and you'll probably be okay. Yeah, it's always a good option too. Well, we don't know. Maybe listener Jessica, she's a billionaire and she wants to buy iPhone 7s to the kids. That's true. You oh. could do that too. That could be. That could be. <laughs> yeah, that, that is the billionaire's option. If you're a little more price conscious, I would say go for a refurbished iPad and, you know, whether it's a mini or an Air, it's still better than the 8 uh, A8 chip in the iPod Touch. So, do you mean more price conscious than a billionaire? Like, I think they were the, they were the two options you were, you were posing: <laughs> either a billionaire or you're more price conscious. She could be a millionaire. Mm, I mean, I'm, I'm, in my mind, you're either price conscious or you're a billionaire. You know, <laughs> no, no middle class. That's a way no. of looking at it. That What's the middle weird. class anyway? <laughs> Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace. Enter the offer code WORLD at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. It is time to make your next move with Squarespace because they let you create that website that you have for your next idea. Every idea needs a website. Every idea needs a domain. Every idea, trust me, needs a beautiful template to display it in. Award-winning, you may say. What about 24-7 customer support? That is what is available to you if you sign up for Squarespace. If you have any issues while you're trying to get your website up and running or anything from then until eternity, you can contact Squarespace's team. They are there 24-7. Whenever you need them, they will be there to help you. With Squarespace, you will be able to create an online store, 
a blog, a portfolio, a site for your restaurant, maybe a site for your band where you could have the music playing. No matter what type of website you want to create, Squarespace have all of the tools that you need to put it together. I have used Squarespace for so many things right now. Like right now at Relay FM, we use Squarespace for our blog and our store because they do that stuff better than we ever could. You can go and check it out right now. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can sign up for a free trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. With Squarespace, there's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. They have got all of that stuff covered. Once you've played around with Squarespace and you decide that you want to sign up, you want to use the offer code WORLD, W-O-R-L-D, to get 10% off your first purchase, and we'll also show your support for Connected. We thank Squarespace for their support of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move. Make your next website. All right. So, Mr. Federico Vatici, you mm. have gone ahead and done it again and created an iOS concept video. Now, this is something you did for the first time last year, right? Yes. Uh, the concept video and the mockups were the change from last year with iOS 10. Uh, for context, I've been doing my uh, annual iOS wish list. Since the days of iOS 6, so when iOS 5 was the current OS, I published my first article in this series called iOS 6 Wishes. Uh, that was 2012, and I've been doing this since for every iOS version. Last year with iOS 10, uh, in addition to my wish, uh, my wish list, we also uh, did a concept video to visualize the wishes themselves and to sort of give people a better idea of what I had in mind. And this year we've done it again. There's a new concept video. Uh, we're talking about iOS 11, of course. But the twist is uh, because I feel that the iPad is uh, more behind than the iPhone in terms of attention and in terms of power, you know, power user features. Uh, this year, my iOS 11 wishes and concept video are all about the iPad and the future of the iPad. And I guess at this point right now, we're all pretty confident that and hoping but also a little bit confident that this will be Apple's tact as well, right? That the iPad's going to get some serious love at WWDC. I think so. Um, and I know, you know, and it's almost like uh, multiple people seem to know this and to agree upon this, that iPad features were supposed to come out earlier than the situation that we're mm -hmm. in right now, mm -hmm. which is basically it's two years since iOS 9 oh. and almost you know, over a year and a half after the original iPad Pro. And it wasn't supposed to be this long, but whatever happened, now we're at the stage where WWDC is upon us and maybe there's going to be a visual refresh of iOS, you know, in general on the iPhone and the iPad, but really Apple is going to have some iPad love to share at WWDC. There was something that you said in your article that I really liked. Uh, you said, iOS for iPhone is, I believe, at a point of sufficient maturity. The iPad now bears the proverbial low-hanging fruit of iOS. Yeah, I mean, I, I find that hard to disagree. Um, if you consider the iPhone and iPad advancing simultaneously, uh, you could say that the iPhone is at least a couple of years ahead of the iPad, Um if, if you look back at iOS 9, there was the point when Apple stopped. Um, I don't want to say caring about the iPad, but making features and designs and, you know, thinking about iPad users as a different type of users than the iPhone average customer. Mm -hmm. And over the past two years, the iPhone has advanced with iOS 10. We got some amazing features. 
for the iPhone and you know we we got the iMessage for example was clearly optimized for the iPhone the stickers initially they didn't even work on the iPad in split view and instead <laughs> uh, we didn't we didn't get any iPad only feature because i think the the main difference here to bring up is it doesn't matter if apple releases the same option on both platform and they're going to say well this amazing iphone feature also works on the ipad uh because i think ipad users need and deserve um some ipad only an ipad first functionality that truly take takes advantage of the bigger screen and the different type of device um Otherwise, every feature, every design is just going to be an adaptation from the iPhone. And so I think there's so much more potential to change things on the iPad. Uh, and there's so much, and this is a point that I make in the, in the story, there's so much missing functionality, really, from the iPad. The iPhone, you could argue, well, Apple is going to do something new, maybe a new design, maybe some new system apps. But you cannot really say, well, this is absolutely missing from the iPhone, and I feel like the same is not true for the iPad. There's stuff that is clearly missing from the iPad right now. So, so let me play devil's advocate for just a second. I, I agree with you. I think the iPhone point in particular is very well said. And I think Apple would it would benefit Apple to treat the iPhone and iPad more independently of each other. And maybe not as far as splitting the OS, but like really focusing on them as what they are. But as the resident Mac user on on the show, uh, before I lost Mike, I, I just I, I can't help but think that um, that iPad users are being a little bit finicky with some of this stuff. That yeah, it's been two years, but this stuff takes time. And I, I was just thinking back over the course of OS X's life, and you know, iOS is now ten years old. And it is not as far along as Mac OS X was, but Mac OS X had a head start, right? And and I think that someone looking at the two of you saying, well, this is ridiculous. You guys are spoiled. Like, mm. quit whining. It's only been two years. The Mac's not getting this sort of attention anymore. Uh, I don't think that's fair of those people. And, and they're my people. They're my people saying it. But I think it's unfair because the Mac got a head start, right? The Mac... Uh, was built upon Next Step and stuff from the classic Mac OS. And so you had things like copy and paste out of the box. And in iOS, they had to add that. And it took them two years, and they finally did it in iOS 3. But um, I just think as we move forward, if you are a Mac user listening to this and you think that Federico and Mike are being silly for complaining that it's been two years since they've gotten an update, then I, I, don't, I just don't think that's fair because iOS is still... Uh, a young OS, uh, the Mac is is much more mature, and this is a, a, something micro in the show notes, but I'm going to steal it, um, that it would be difficult for us to sit down and make a list of needed features and improvements like this for Mac OS. I mean, I've been mm-hmm. working on like a Mac OS 10.13 wish list, and to be honest with you guys, like it's pretty short. Like the Mac is mature and and stable and most of the stuff I want on that list is actually like dialing back some of the new stuff or like tweaking stuff they've added, but the core is good. Uh, whereas iOS is younger and has more room to grow because of it. So I just kind of wanted to clear mm-hmm. the deck if, if yeah, people are yeah, thinking yeah. that, because I think it's a little unfair. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a valid point. Uh, I, I just disagree with the premise that it's only been two years, especially from a company that tries to sell the iPad as the future. 
and then you stop for two years, that's a very long time. If if you truly believe that something is the future of computing, and it's not like we're talking about some, you know, uh, low-profile startup with some small team working on this. We're talking about Apple and the CEO going out and saying, well, we believe this is the future of computing for everyone. And I just, and I just struggle to reconcile those statements with two years of effectively pause on the iPad software. And I know that this stuff takes time. Uh, so and it's not the end of the world, right? Uh, it's not like uh, Apple didn't ship features for the iPad and now we're all upset and we're going to switch to Linux. That is not the case, but it's also, it needs to be said that it's been two years and it is time for something new. And I know that, you know, uh, that Mac users have been waiting for longer, but it's also much more, uh, I think it's, you know, it's been around for a long time. And right. like you said, it's hard to come up with new ideas and wishes of things that are missing from the Mac because it's so mature at this point. Yeah, I mean, something as simple as, well, not as simple, but something as sort of basic as window management and we're getting ready to get into this with like some of the split view stuff. But if you look at the Mac, Apple introduced Spaces and Expose years ago. I think Expose was like 10.3 or 10.4 and the Spaces was in Leopard. And now they sort of like smashed all that into Mission Control and then they redid Mission Control and they need to redo it again because it's still not really good. Uh, but they're sort of like taking the pieces they already have and rearranging them where iOS, they need to bring some of that stuff to it in the first place, right? The split view was a good first step, but they need to move beyond that now. So I just think it's it's not an apples to apples comparison between the two operating systems. And also like all of the stuff that we're going to talk about, all of the stuff that Federico has written about is just new ways, new ideas of doing things that already exist on desktop platforms, right? Like reimagining some concepts for how they would work on a touch interface to get work done. Right, the, mm -hmm. these aren't like brand new pie in the sky things for the most part. It's like finding ways to bring needed features to iOS that currently exist in macOS and in Windows. Right, right. So it's it's not you know we're like give us feature feature parity is what we want or like you know like or concepts right like the concepts so like drag and drop which is the first one we're going to talk about like there isn't a way to drag and drop something from thing to thing in ios right from app to app from app mm -hmm. to file system or anything like this this doesn't exist and boy would it be nice so let's talk about it federico you conceive of an idea of drag and drop. So kind of from your perspective, what do you think that drag and drop looks like on iOS? This is the feature that uh, we also showcased last year in the iOS 10 concept video. And this year we had time to refine the idea and to maybe consider all of the implications. So the basic idea is it should be super simple and it should be intuitive for users. Imagine Split View, for example, uh, you have two apps open at the same time and you want to get some text or maybe an image from the app on the left to the app on the right. Right now, there's really no easy way or intuitive way to do that on iOS 10. You either have to copy the image to the clipboard and then paste in the other app. Sometimes it works, other times it doesn't work or you need to use an extension. So you need to go through a bunch of different places and sort of rely on workarounds to move data. With drag and drop, I feel like the obvious solution would be you just hold down on the text that you want to move or the image that you want to, you know, bring into the other app and you just move it. You just drag it there. You grab it, you move it, and you drop it. 
And I feel like we Apple nailed this idea decades ago on the Mac, and it's been around since forever. I think actually, you know, Jeff Raskin invented the click and drag uh, behavior on the original Macintosh, and it and it's a it's a proven, it's a solid idea that I feel a lot of people say, well, drag and drop, you know, it's a desktop feature, it's made for the mouse, it doesn't make sense on a mobile touchscreen. And I think the argument doesn't make any sense because if you think about it, on, on desktop computers, you're using an abstraction, a metaphor of your hand, which is the, the trackpad and the mouse cursor on the screen to select objects and move them, move them around. Mm-hmm. On iOS, you could actually hold the objects on the screen and swipe physically with your finger to move data around. And so that's the simplest uh, implementation. But then in the concept and in the article, I explained, you know, maybe you don't want to uh, drop uh, an item uh, into an app right away. Maybe you want to save it for later. Or maybe you don't know the app that you want to drop it in. So you want to open the multitasking switcher and select an app icon while you are already holding an item. And of course, there are multiple types of items that you could drag. You know, text and images are obvious, but what about a PDF document? What about a Safari web page? Or what if you want to drag and drop a location from maps? So there's this whole system that will require a framework, like a system-wide framework and an API from Apple. It's a big effort, you know, to support multiple content types and to tell developers, here's an API, here's how your app can support these two methods, uh, allowing the users to hold down and select a piece of content and being able for your app to receive content that is dropped by the user. Uh, there are multiple implications and it's super difficult if you think about you know the technical aspects. I went back and I actually tried to read the document of, um, I, call, I think it was called Drag Manager on System 7. It's a PDF that is still available on apple.com for some reason. Uh, and not to give you the idea that this is stuff that Apple has been thinking about for a long time. Apple, uh, back in the System 7 days, uh, they referred to item flavors. So, for example, if you have an item that is text, text can have multiple flavors. It can be plain text or it can be rich text. If it's rich text, maybe it's got some formatting. So you got to account for that. And there are all these different variables that if you enable drag and drop, so if you enable this direct communication between two apps, you got to have effectively a language to let those apps understand each other. So hopefully there will be an API and there will be a modernized implementation of this stuff that Apple has been doing for over 20 years, basically. I want to come back to the developer point in a second, but there's something that I want to drill down on, which I think is really interesting, which is the idea of multi-touch, right? And you kind of... Mm. Mm-hmm. You've you've glossed on it a couple of times. It's the idea of like if you imagine two apps in split view and you have notes on one side and you have a web page on the other and you want to drag an image from a web page. If you were doing this, you know, in, in you could like you could pick it up and you could drag it, you could hold it down the bottom and it starts to scroll, right? But what you would be able to do on iOS is you could just you could scroll the app the other application with your other hand. Mm-hmm. Right, like the idea of being able to like pinch and zoom and move around whilst you're holding a piece of content, continuing to manipulate the screen. You said like you could go to the home screen, you're still holding it with your other hand. You could pick another app, you can drop it in. Like the the idea of having effectively multiple cursors on screen is really nice, right? And yeah. I'm sure you'd be able to do like what you can do on on macOS. Let's see, you could pick up a file, hold it, wait for the file to open, drop it in, right? That kind of thing. 
But on iOS, you could actually be manipulating all of that stuff manually and quicker because you're able to tap around. And I think that that is, that is a very compelling idea for me. Um, I, one thing that I really, really hope for and that I get concerned about when I think about this is I really, really, really want there to be the ability to drag and drop files and not just content. Right, yes. like files is a is a really important one, um, and and I do foresee a world in which drag and drop is launched without that, and it's just content to start. Like I can see that, um, but I really hope that they do the whole shebang. I want to come back to the developers though. This is the risk for me. This is the real risk point about if they're going to do this right. There needs to be APIs and, as you say, would require explicit adoption. Application developers would need to write the stuff to make this happen. So content can be shared from app to app. You know, and, and like, like with document pickers, you know, applications can say what types of files they can accept and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. If you look at Split View and how long it took <laughs> companies to adopt yeah. Split View, if at all with their iPad apps, this is where I start to worry about the adoption mm. rates for, for these types of features. Well, the good news maybe is that while, um, you know, Split View uh, was a massive problem for some companies such as Google that relied on custom interface frameworks to, and had to redraw their entire uh, UIs uh, and to, to make them, you know, work and support the uh, size classes on iPad. Uh, whereas I think if Apple wants to do a drag-and-drop API, they should take most of the work uh, away from the developers. So Apple should have their own system, their own language um, that can understand content types. So they, there needs to be a system that the developer doesn't have to build it. The developer needs to be able to say, look, this is some text, there you go, do whatever you want with it. Or this is a text field in my app, it supports rich text and plain text, now I'm, I'm just going to wait for some text to be dropped and then I'm going to take care of that. But the system that you know lets two apps communicate, that needs to be provided by Apple. And so in theory, at least in my mind, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a developer and I'm just uh, I'm trying to make a, a reasonable assumptions as to, as to how this could work. But I imagine uh, there should be a layer in the middle that is made by Apple that says, well, I'm looking at an image right now and it's a photo that comes from Safari. It's a JPEG. It's a two megabyte uh, object. And on the on this other end, uh, there's a text editor and the user is about to drop an image into a text editor. What do I do? Uh, the system, the API provided by Apple on iOS should say, well, you know, uh, an image cannot be plain text. So I'm just going to assume that maybe the user wants to insert the link to the image from the web, or maybe if the image is not, uh, you know, a photo from a web page, but what if it's a photo from an email client? It doesn't have a link. Well, let's just use the file name of the image in plain text. So this abstraction, this communication, this translation occurring between two apps, that must be done by Apple. And that that shouldn't be work that the developers need to account for. But still, there should be an API for developers to integrate with this. And that is where your, your concern might comes in. How long is, is it going to take Google to allow users to select some, some text in Google Docs and drop it into you know, a, a Apple Mail? Or is Microsoft going to take two months to enable dropping of images and videos into OneNote? 
that I, I'm afraid I cannot answer for you. <laughs> I think the idea of having a piece of content and then manipulating the OS underneath it is really interesting. You know, on the Mac, you can you can click down and have like a text document and then I have my keyboard. You can hit F3 to go into mission control and then drag that piece of content on top of any open app and... Uh, if it can open it, then it opens it, and if it can't, then it can't. But you know, this is a, a, an area where they can break from the phone, right? The phone is one app at a time, and you know most of the time one-handed. But the iPad is not that way, right? You can have it on your desk, or you can have it in the keyboard case, and you can use both hands with it. And I think it's a really interesting example of taking something from the desktop world, and ch- you know the fundamentals are the same, but changing the interaction so it's touch native. And I, I don't know, I, I like that you led with this in the article because I think it's the best example of that. Something we all understand and know and use every day on our computers, you know, that run desktop OSs, but on our computers that run mobile OSs, we can't do it. And mm-hmm. a way to kind of bridge that divide. And I think I think you've done a good job explaining it and showing it in the mm-hmm. video, for sure. Yeah, and look, this is stuff, again, that it's going to sound so obvious to long-time Mac users or Windows users that... GOS is able to account for those scenarios where the drag and drop leads you to unexpected places, such as dropping an image into an address bar or, you know, doing some conversions from rich text to plain text. This is obvious on, on macOS, but it still hasn't been done on iOS. And it will require so many additions. Even if you simply consider rich text that doesn't have a real framework on iOS and that still cannot handle basic stuff like let me paste a you know a table in an email client or allow me to keep my formatting as I copy and paste text between apps. So there are so there's so much work that Apple should be doing here. And that could be the reason why it's taken them two years, because it's a very complex system. It's a very complex uh, feature. And I assume uh it's going to be a very complex API, but it's not impossible. It's been done before. It could be updated for the era of touch and multi-touch especially. Um, and even if you look at, for example, this is a, um, uh, it's a footnote in my story, but you know, Apple just acquired a company that made an app based on an engine called Content Graph that its very main feature was I'm able to uh, to understand multiple content types and to mm-hmm. automatically translate them. And that was the core feature of Workflow. Now, I don't think that Workflow was acquired to power drag and drop, but it sure is nice to have the expertise of a team now at Apple that truly understands this stuff. So you took drag and drop one step further than you did last mm. year with the idea of the shelf. What is the mm. shelf? So the idea is the shelf is a temporary place to hold something for later. And this super generic description is meant to be generic because the shelf is not meant to be an app or a location in iCloud Drive. Um, Think about this. When you use drag and drop on the Mac and you want to quickly store something for later because you don't know right away where, you know, whether it's text or a photo or a link should go. Usually, most people, I would argue, they just drop it onto the desktop or anywhere else in the Finder. 
And that's a great feature of the Mac because you can just take something and be, okay, I'm not sure what to do with it. I just know that I'm going to need it later at some point. So let me just drop it there. It's like leaving something on the table as a reminder. And if you consider bringing drag and drop to iOS, it just made sense to me to have this kind of, you know, transient dock, if you will, where you can just drop stuff and take care of it later. So we imagined uh, this feature as you start drag and drop, you select something and you start dragging. But if you go over the uh, upper section of the screen, um, there's this shelf that comes down and reveals all of these uh, slots. It's like a, a tray where you can drop stuff. And you drop an item, the shelf closes again, and now that item has been temporarily archived. Now, you know, maybe a few minutes pass, maybe a couple of hours pass, you remember that you clipped an item into the shelf, now you're writing an email message, you need that PDF or that image again, just open the shelf with a three-finger swipe, you grab the item again, and you bring it into your email message or pages document or, you know, note, whatever. Um, it's a way to sort of marry the simplicity of drag and drop with a way to taking the burden of having to decide right now where something should go from the user. So it's a way to let them quickly archive, store, whatever you want to define it for later and take it back when they need it. And I'm not sure that this is something that Apple is going to do this year, but it, it, I continue to think that it makes sense to me to have something like this to help you doing drag and drop on iOS. Because there's no desktop, there's a home screen, but do you really want stuff on your home screen? I think a shelf would be much more elegant. Yeah, I really like the fact that you can, in you know, the idea that you would be able to, to access it anywhere with the three-finger yeah. swipe, I think that's that's a really, really key part of it. Yeah, and, and again, it, it's taking an idea, but updating it right something like um like drag thing you can yeah. even do this with with like apple's dock kind of kind of um, yeah or a lot of people like i do have like folders in their dock so i have dropbox and i have downloads in my folders in my in my dock and I quickly get things in and out of them um but yeah i mean that's that's kind of a complaint i have now with ios and i've spoken about this before that if i go to make a pdf to upload to the web I've got to put it somewhere, right? I've got to upload it to iCloud or exactly. send it to Dropbox yeah. or put it in documents. Like I got to put it somewhere. And if this is a way to kind of like stick a file somewhere temporarily and then come back and get it, it can make that workflow much faster without having to go out to the document provider uh, and then back in. And I think absolutely if drag and drop and you know these other features are coming, this is, this is sort of part of it. Like it's part of the same system of hey, I've got something, I need to move it somewhere. And sometimes that means I need a temporary resting place, like you said. Sometimes yes. I don't know quite where it's going. Or, um, you know, for me, like I keep my my desktop uh, very clean right now. The only thing on it is a text file where I'm, I'm keeping up with titles for the show since we're not live this week. It's the only thing on it. And I know that because it's on my desktop, it's important. And when I'm done with it, it will go away. And I think some people would use the shelf like I do, like I use my desktop. And other people, of course, are going to have 10,000 things in it. So Apple needs to make sure that it scales better than iMessage apps did last year. <laughs> but it's it's a, it's a really interesting idea to have a space in iOS as a little temporary holding bin that you can come back to later. 
Yeah, and we we try to think of ways to minimize uh, management. Uh, so, for example, we imagined uh, you could tap on an item that's been already saved in the shelf to maybe have a quick look preview uh, of the item before saying, well, I know that I clipped this PDF, but what's it really about again? So you can just tap it again, you see a preview, and then you can decide what to do. Or, for example, if you save the location or, you know, like an address from Apple Maps, you could preview the location directly from the shelf with a right. tiny quick look model preview. And then you could do things. And if you follow that idea, that maybe uh, developers could provide their own quick look extensions. So for example, let's say that I want to add a sheet from Ulysses into the shelf. Well, really, what is a sheet? It's not like an open file format. So maybe the Ulysses folks, they could provide a quick look extension that says, if the user clips uh, a sheet from the app into the shelf, uh, we can provide our own preview to the quick look panel. And so the user can still preview the sheet outside of Ulysses and from the shelf. And there would be, for example, a way to expand the shelf and to select all of the items and sort of purge everything and delete all. Um, I, I try to think of multiple ways to sort of enhance the shelf and to have these little shortcuts without having to make it too complex or too complicated. So one very obvious set of features would be a redesign to the uh, split view app picker, <laughs> which yes. was, you know... It was an incredible thing, like Split yeah. View, and it still is to a point, right? Like Split View is what made the iPad a viable work machine for me. Like it brought me to the platform, and it keeps me there. Like as I was, I was writing these show notes in Split View, right? Like Google Docs on one side, and I had the web browser on another side, right? Like it's exactly what I need, right? It it, it does, it fulfills the job, but it has a, it has some room to grow now that it's kind of gotten a little bit long in the tooth. And these are, this is a list um, of the enhancements that you suggested from your article. So to be able to arrange the most used applications that you have on a grid, similar to like a mini home screen that would appear when you invoke the split view, mm -hmm. an integrated spotlight so you could search for applications or maybe even content, right? So you'd yeah. be able to just open that straight up. Mm -hmm. um, the picker view could be displayed on either side of, of the screen, which would be yes. really great, right? So you could pull it in from the left or the right. Um, recently used applications could be displayed at the bottom of the picker as like cards, as so like easier recents. Like what it currently is, is basically like a version of recents, right? But like to, yeah. to, to still have that, but to minimize it and have a also a, a system where you could choose what you want to be uh, showing. Uh, spring, loaded, spring loading for items that are passed via drag and drop. So you could drag and drop to something in Split View and it opens the application, right? You just hover it over the app. Um, yeah. And a, the Split View picker could be invoked and navigated with an external keyboard. Um, I would praise the Lord if they <laughs> enabled that, honestly. So this is kind of like a, a good breakdown of the features. And I think this is all of these things are clear to me as they are to you, Federico, as someone who gets their work done on this device every day, to the point where, like, if we don't get at least most of these, I will be really, really surprised. Mm. Yeah. Um, again, I, I try to sort of modernize and think more deeply about what we did last year. Um, 
idea this this idea of you can have a grid of icons and you can have your recent apps uh we already explored the idea last year but we try to make it a little prettier maybe uh you know with the way that the recents go at the bottom it's like a scrollable tray and it matches the same order of recent apps from the multitasking switcher the one that you get if you double click the home button that would be the same order of recent apps and then you have this mini home screen that by default i imagine it could be the same layout of the actual home screen but then you can modify you can drag items in different order if you want to have a specific placement in split view for example uh and we try to account even for the potential problems that this concept would have uh not just the the changes and the the good stuff but also the bad stuff if you can show the split view picker on both sides what happens uh, if you have the same app on two sides and and so we thought maybe if the user already has notes for example apple notes open on the left side and the user opens the split view picker on the right side the notes icon should be dimmed it shouldn't be selectable or tappable because it's already open so we try to account for all of these potential problems and then we thought you know it makes sense to support drag and drop in, with this system if the user starts dragging and they don't have an app open or they want to switch apps we have multi-touch we have drag and drop why not you know uh, bring in drag and drop to the split view picker so we thought there should be two ways to do this either you drop something into an app icon and then the app provides a quick action menu or you spring load the app icon and the app opens and you you know you scroll to whatever you want to drop an item into uh, and the quick action idea is uh, we had in the video an example uh, you select some uh, a bullet list from an email message uh, so we uh, by the way, we came up with this concept uh, of the video. It's about uh, planning a vacation to Barcelona. Um, we had the idea of, instead of showing a bunch of distinct standalone features, let's try to have like a day in the life sort of uh, theme for the video. So we're showing someone how uh, the a better iPad software could help this family plan a vacation to Barcelona. And so at some point in the video, there's this email message and uh, a member of the family is reminding everyone... Um, to bring sunscreen and the iPhone charger and the adapter cable. And so we show the user selecting those lines of text, dropping them onto the reminders icon in the split view picker. A reminders parses these lines of text and shows a quick action menu that says, I found four items. Do you want to add those four new reminders to your list? So it's stuff like that, you know, uh, to enhance the split view uh, picker, not just with the redesign interface, but also with support for other system features, whether it's drag and drop or extensions or, you know, uh, keyboard navigation. I think if Apple does this, they should just support everything because especially for iPad Pro, it's right there in the name. You want to help pro users. This is how you help pro users. All right, let's take our second break for this week and thank Smile for their support of this show. Today, I want to talk to you about PDF Pen. It equips you with everything that you need for more powerful PDF editing. And great news, the new PDF Pen 9 is now available, and it is the ultimate tool for editing your PDFs. You can upgrade to PDF Pen 9 today to go totally paperless and enjoy over 100 enhancements that will improve your PDF editing workflow. PDF Pen 9 comes with some great new features, including the ability to add notes, comments, and cloud annotations to your PDF documents, and even fill out and sign interactive PDF forms. You can access annotations and their content in the new sidebar and copy annotation content as plain text. And you can also find and highlight all instances of a word in 
a PDF, which is really useful, along with being able to remove OCR text layers and create links to other PDF files. So, you know, if you're looking for a PDF and you want to make sure something's in there, you can see all of the words within it. And that is the power of OCR that allows you to do all of that. You also have the option to export your PDFs in grayscale and to JPEG, PNG, Ping. Is it PNG or Ping? Who knows? And one bit TIFF files. PDF Pen Pro 9 enhances table of contents editing, adds OCR for Chinese, Japanese, and Korean, and you can also edit your documents wherever you are. Just use iCloud or Dropbox for totally seamless editing. PDF Pen is so important to the way that I get my work done. I use it on all of my devices, and it's because I sign a bunch of contracts, like quite a lot. I, I sign contracts, I create contracts, and PDF Pen is the way that I get the signatures ready. Like when I create a contract for someone, I'll create it in like Pages or whatever whatever app I'm using, and I export it out to PDF Pen, and I can sign it, I can add my name, I can add the date, and then I send it off. And it's the same that when I receive a contract, it always goes into PDF Pen for me to sign and get it sent off. It's so easy, and I really, really do love this application. You can get everything you need for more powerful PDF PDF editing by going to smilesoftware.com slash connected where you can find out more. Thank you so much to PDF Pen from Smile for their support of this show. So Federico Finder on iOS. Yeah. <laughs> this, is a, this is a bold idea. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um I think that, you know, uh, there's people that say the iPad or iOS really, uh, they don't need a file system. And I think that idea sort of lost all of its value years ago when Apple brought the document, uh, the new document picker and the document providers and the iCloud Drive app to iOS. Because right now, if you look at your iPad or your iPhone on iOS 10, you already have a file system. It's just different from the Mac. Um, you don't have, of course, the desktop. You don't have Windows. But you do have a way to organize files and folders. Uh, you know, you, have, you can create subfolders. And you can use apps as storage locations. So you can use Dropbox as a native provider in the document picker. You can switch back and forth between different locations. Um, you do have a file system. It's just way too simple and way too fragmented right now to be as powerful as the Mac. And my argument is uh, Apple should not just copy the Mac's Finder because there are so many, at least from my perspective, so many problems with the Mac's Finder. Uh, the way that you know the view settings are all kinds of weird and really the problems of people going to delete files into places where they're not supposed to look at. Um, but I think there's also plenty of good stuff that Apple should borrow from the file manager that they created decades ago and that should, you know, it would make absolute sense, especially on the iPad. Um, I think the main idea that I try to convey in the video and the article is the Finder should be a unified place for everything. It should be a single place for iCloud Drive, for uh, local storage, for uh, storage locations from apps, and for document providers. And in fact, I also wrote in the story, uh, I believe Apple should discontinue uh, document providers, such as Dropbox or Google Drive, as you know, separate places. They should be just Finder extensions. And on the Mac, or Apple already has this kind of system. It's called Finder Sync. And it's an extension that allows apps to modify the native Finder behavior. And I think if Apple wants to do a native file manager on iOS, just unify all of these different bits that you already have, but make them easier and more powerful and let them integrate safely and natively with the Finder. 
So for example, Dropbox could be, you know, a top level destination in the Finder and use their own sync, use their own badges to indicate, you know, status and have native sharing features. Or you, people could use iCloud Drive, which would be the default location in the Finder. iCloud Drive should receive sharing, should receive tags, uh, you know, permission control, and all of the good stuff from the Mac uh, should also be available on iOS. And finally, just make a decent interface. If you look at iCloud Drive right now, the app, which is the file manager from Apple on iOS now, it is terrible. It's awful. It's, uh, I believe, the worst app that Apple released on iOS so far. The extension update that they did with iOS 10, I still can, cannot believe that it shipped. And it's up <laughs> right there with the split view picker in terms of what is the worst stuff we've ever done on iOS. It's the split view <laughs> picker and the add to iCloud Drive extension. So, um, you know, add a serious interface, especially for pro users, uh, icon view, column view, uh, you know, popovers, pop-ups to view more file information. Uh, there was, uh, you know, years ago when the iPad was so simple, uh, you know, I'm thinking iPad 1 or iPad 2, yeah, there was no split view, no multitasking, no keyboard shortcuts. It made sense to have everything so simple. But now we're at the point where one half of the iPad is meant for pro users. So you have split view, you have keyboard shortcuts, you have pro apps, and there's the other half, which is still for some reason stuck in the past, which is iCloud Drive and these document providers. And I think it would make sense to unify everything. And it kind of sounds like a paradox, but by making it more powerful, it would actually be simpler because it's just one place where people can do anything they want. I think, too, this could be a stage for them to build other things upon. So things like USB or network storage, right? We talked ages ago about you can put an SD card in and pull photos off of it, but pulling audio files like from a mobile recorder is a lot more difficult. And if you're going to go through the trouble of building something like this, then have those things enabled, right? So I can easily browse other things on my network. So if I have... Uh, a Mac server somewhere, I can browse that on my network and pull a file from it and then put it in iCloud Drive on my iPad. Like, make the iPad aware of the world around it a little bit more as far as storage goes. Because right now, the only way to do that is to use something like Dropbox or iCloud Drive to copy it there and then let that cloud service take care of it for you. Where really a lot of people, I think, just have files on their computer that they may want on their iPad and and not deal with like the desktop and document syncing they put into macOS Sierra, which is like buggy and weird. And if you get it wrong, can go terribly sideways on you. But it's like, make this thing extensible in a way that is useful to all sorts of different types of setups. Yeah, I completely agree. Like the idea of being able to have access to all of these files and they kind of all have parity and that they can all be in there, right? From all my document providers, that is exciting to me as an idea. You know, like even if like I don't know if, if how this kind of thing would work, but like if applications, I've I've wondered well, like applications can't be document providers. You know, like I'm, maybe that's getting a bit too weird and complicated. Well, they can. Yeah, I mean, you can yeah. use like you can pull stuff in and out of like the documents app or. Uh, oh, cool. so let me say then think. more of them should be then, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. Because like for example, uh, I had something in Word, I needed to get it, and it was like Word should be a document provider. Yeah. So I can grab it out of Word. So maybe that would be like an interesting way to do it, right? Where like 
the iCloud portion of it or something like that, you, you just go into each application or whatever and grab the files out of them. But that, I don't know, it could be a bit weird. But yeah. okay, so there you go. T- today I learned. I thought that there had to be like always like a cloud service. No, no, there's, no, just not, no. there's not many apps that have done it. I mean, to your bigger point of developers don't always adopt the stuff quickly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can count probably on like one hand of the apps I've come across to do this. Yeah. And really because the API can be so weird for doing the document stuff. And for years, it's been so flaky with so many bugs. I've been talking to developers. Uh, many of the features that Apple released with iOS 8 had problems that weren't fixed until later in the iOS 8 cycle or in iOS 9, really. Uh, and so I think you know, if Apple is going to do this, there needs to be a new API and they need to, uh, to stop with uh, doing this system of Here's, here you go with the document picker. Now you need to select one from these destinations. So you can go into this single interface and do whatever you want. But then if you exit, you lose the file that you selected. So I think Apple solved these problems years ago on the Mac with the Finder. and But there's also the counter argument of the Finder is too difficult to use for most people, which I, I do believe is true to an extent. And so there should be a middle ground maybe Um not as simple and not as you know uh, limiting as what we have now on iOS, but maybe not as complex as as it is on the Mac. For example, I imagine in iOS 11, if you try to open a document, uh, it shouldn't be presented with the iCloud Drive interface by default, and then you gotta tap on the locations button if you wanna drill into uh, document providers. You should just just have a finder with a sidebar that opens, kind of like the open file dialog on the Mac, and you have the sidebar, you can choose, well, do I want to go into iCloud Drive or Dropbox? And you can just tap once to change locations. You can have stuff like favorite apps or favorite folders, uh, and you can just dig down and pick the file that you want, and that's it. You don't need to tap 10,000 times to change between three destinations, you can just uh, navigate uh, across this Finder UI. And so I think um, there should be a new extension system, there should be a new API, and apps really should be able to more easily open documents and data from each other. Uh, Right now it is possible. Uh, For example, if you have a text editor like Ulysses, you can open and edit a file from working copy, which is a you know, uh, GitHub uh, client. Uh, it's already possible today on iOS 10 to say, I have this app and I want to open and edit a file from another app, but it's so cumbersome and it's so slow. It should be easier and it should be done anywhere. And I believe, uh, you know, a better interface is the first step. The second one would be make that interface, make the file manager available anywhere. So I suppose there's going to be a Finder app on the home screen, like a whole layer done by Apple. And there should also be a new picker in every app, which is the Finder UI. Make it extensible, work with developers, work with companies like Dropbox and Microsoft. I don't want to say Google Drive because, you know, Google. Uh, But try to understand the needs of pro users on iOS and make that kind of interface that would... uh, wouldn't be as difficult as it is on the Mac, wouldn't be much better than what we have today. So you also took a look at overall iOS design and Mm. you have some thoughts on maybe some some messages that Apple has sent in recent versions of iOS? Yeah. um, We tried to take a look at what Apple did last year with, uh, with Apple Music and with some changes in Apple Maps and going back to my iOS 10 review, uh, there was a point where I said uh, there are multiple design languages 
coexisting in iOS 10 today. And I still think that is true. If you look at, you know, not just icons, um, but really the, the use of cards, the use of buttons across apps like Safari and Mail, and then you look at Apple Music and Apple Maps and Apple News, they look like apps from two different companies. And I think, you know, this year I think we'll see a refresh of the iOS 11 interface. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a groundbreaking major redesign like iOS 7 was, but I think there will be some new consistency. And so we try to imagine what that consistency mean. And uh, we didn't spend a lot of time onto the design concept just because I, I, I prefer myself to focus on features and functionality. But I imagine, you know, toolbar icons could be thicker, could be easier to see and to spot at a glance. Uh, there could be contextual animations on icons that are associated with actions. So the video opens with a with a possible redesign of the Apple Notes app with the with these thicker icons that sort of blend the current iOS style uh, with the watchOS style. So when you tap on an icon, you get this little highlight uh, on the on the button, and the icon also animates, which is kind of reminiscent of uh, the Material style from Google, I guess. Um, and it's a way to add context and to make it more accessible, you know, to have these button shapes around icons. I think there's a lot that Apple could do to sort of liven up the iOS UI to make it more contextual, to make it more accessible, and to make it more fun, which I think it's important, uh, you know, to, to make it fun. Even if it's a pro app, I think it's important to give it some personality. And after look, I know that after looking at the icons that we did for Safari for, uh, for Apple Notes, I went back and looked at the actual icons in Safari on iOS 10, and they looked so old to me. And uh, I'm biased, of mm -hmm. course, because it's our concept. But I would love to see, you know, the Apple Music and the Apple Maps, the Apple News style uh, be more consistent throughout the entire iOS 11. And then also, you, you kind of rounded up some smaller features that were interesting to me. And the idea, one of them is that the share sheet kind of needs mm. some work. And you spoke about, you know, as well as just making it a little bit better to view what's going on, you also kind of had an idea of breaking extensions outside of the share sheet as well. Yeah, uh, this is probably one of the toughest cells from this concept, which is... Um, you know, right now, if you want to use an extension, whether it's a share extension or an action type one, uh, you need to go through the share sheet. There's always this middle step of, okay, I know what I want to do, but first I need to tap the share icon and I need to scroll this list of extensions and pick the one that I want. And this slows you down a lot, especially if you use the same extension every, you know, every time. You you just need to go through this middle step every 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 time. So I imagine what if you could use, again, drag and drop to select an extension and manually drop it into a toolbar or uh, an area of an app where you can drop in extensions. So I imagine, for example, having a 1Password icon in the Safari toolbar. So in, you know every time you need to log into a web page, you don't need to open the share sheet and then find 1Password. You can just type on, type on 1Password in the toolbar. It's like the Mac, but done in a way that it, combines the current system with possible drag and drop and it would save you a lot of time but on the other hand it would also require developers to support this feature uh, I would assume developers would have to provide an icon 
for toolbars or for other uh, interface areas where extensions could be dropped. And there's the argument to be made about, you know, uh, by removing a step, you're possibly uh, opening up the system to potential damage caused by the users. Because what if you accidentally tap on, you know, a workflow extension and something happens and you didn't have the middle step of the share sheet to save you? Uh, so it's a, it's a trade-off, you know? Uh, but I think it could be done in a way that, you know, you make it so that only the user via drag and drop can bookmark, can, you know, mark an extension as a favorite. And so it wouldn't be done by the system that suddenly you have your toolbar filled with icons, you know, you know, in mm -hmm. the worst Windows nightmare <laughs> from the from the old era. Uh, it would it would be done by the user manually every time. And I think, you know, um, for example, you could have nominee focus extension directly in Safari, or you could have a something like a Todoist. Uh, extension right, uh, right in the mail UI. It's a way to make the share sheet more accessible and, and faster, uh, combining it with drag and drop. But I, I don't, I don't know if Apple likes this idea or has played around with this idea. Yeah, this is something that I would want in some of my applications. But I think of everything that you pose in the video and in the article, this feels like the least likely to happen for me. Like yeah, yeah. I, I I really struggle to imagine Apple allowing the Yahoo to Yahoo toolbar to appear in a <laughs> bunch of different applications. You know, I tend to agree. Yeah, uh, and I think for that for that reason because it, it puts you know, the share sheet can for all of its trouble is kind of hidden away, right? And if you don't ever go in there or you don't enable a bunch of apps, you don't know how messy it can get. But to put that stuff like front and center in in Apple's UI Chrome doesn't seem like something uh, something they're going to do. I mean, even though they do it on the Mac, but I, I think that uh, on the iOS with less space and, and sort of more flexibility in the UI, I just don't quite see it happening there. So you touch on the home screen becoming denser, which I completely agree with, right? Like yeah. filling up that home screen a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, you spoke about multiple audio streams, which is something that we've spoken about a bunch of times on this what? show. I don't think we need to rehash <laughs> that, right? Like the idea of a new audio framework that can allow for simultaneous audio streams. So you could, you know, you could have a video playing and be listening to something else, or you could, as we want, record a Skype call or a VoIP call or a FaceTime yeah. call so we could yeah. finally do podcasting on iOS. If that happens, Federico won't need to buy a new Mac Pro after all. That's yeah, very exactly. true. Mm-hmm. Very, I could just true. use my my iPad and iOS 11. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense for not just for podcasters, but for for musicians. You know, anyone who works with the with the mixing apps that deal with multiple audio streams. Right now, they they usually have to rely on stuff like AudioBus, for example, to get uh, audio streams from multiple apps into a single interface and editing UI. And I think that should be done at a system level. There should be an API that yep. deals with you know there's multiple streams occurring now uh, and you can control them maybe via control center maybe in another way but there should be at least support at an api level for developers to be able to uh to to have multiple sessions audio sessions going at the same time yeah uh, maybe a little, little bit more versatility and love shown to notes.app um like for example you you pose an, like the ability to use the apple pencil anywhere in the application to just draw wherever you want as opposed to mm. entering drawing mode and then having this little image popped in yeah. which is a little bit hacky when you think about it especially you know you look at other applications like good notes or notability right you can you can do this with their applications and also 
more more sharing options, like support for sharing entire folders. Um, and plus, I mean, I would like to see the sharing stuff improved. It's a little bit janky. Like a couple of days ago, me and Adina were sharing a note. And I was like, oh, press the airdrop button to share this note. And when you do it, yeah. you still have to enter contact information. Uh, I don't think, Apple, I don't think you know what airdrop is. Uh, it's a little bit a little bit that's weird. That's such a weird that's such a weird thing. I yeah. mean, maybe it's it's like a two-step, like you don't accidentally airdrop a private note to someone on the subway, but... Yeah, but that's your, you know, I mean, that's your problem, right? Like, yeah. click the right button. <laughs> no, no mercy in the UI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think um, the driving mode, uh, the, the problem there would be for people like you, Mike, um, to add freeform drawing would mean you cannot control the interface with the pencil. That's the big problem well, here. Uh, yes and no. I mean, I use applications like GoodNotes and Notability, right? And there's a few ways you can do this. You can you can press a button, right? Like you can yeah, press the pen yeah. button and then you mm-hmm. just start drawing. Or I mean, but also in applications that have a notes component to them, um, I'm mostly okay with the fact that I use my finger and then use the Apple Pencil, right? Like let me scroll the lists, but when I'm okay. in the content of the note, like if I touch my Apple Pencil to the page and it draws something, like I'm mostly okay with that, right? Like I understand that, but it, it, most applications solve this by having you press a button, which yeah. will then kind of enable pencil mode. Um, and yeah. then you can draw and you can use your finger. And then when you click it again, yeah. you can just use the pencil to, to navigate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a, an item here in the notes uh, and it just says that I have a confession. Mm. And now I sort of regret putting this in here because... Oh, no. No, go ahead. Now I feel I have to come clean. I feel like I know what it is. I should confess. Mike probably can guess what it is. Steven, do you have a desire for work chat? I have uh, I have my notes in Evernote right now. Oh, my God. What? Um, Why are you doing this to me again? Why? Two, two <sighs> big reasons. Uh, and one of them you go into in your article, Federico, that folders and subfolders in notes on iOS is like a mess. And mm. you can't, you can't, uh, you can't create them there at all right now. And I ran into an issue, which is one issue I switched, is I use notes, I use folders and subfolders in notes pretty heavily. And the notes application on iOS would not, and the Mac, would not ever save what folders were open and not. So I'd go in to look for something and I have to like, tap into a folder, tap into the subfolder, kind of like the opposite problem of iCloud Drive where everything's always expanded. And it really, it was like a small thing, but just degraded me endlessly. Uh, but I also have a lot of notes that have multiple attachments in them. So I'll like have some text and have a screenshot and have some more text and then a PDF and some more text and a screenshot. And uh, notes was just slowly breaking down for me in that that it does a good job at handling attachments and you have the attachment view, which is actually pretty nice, but I just kind of became increasingly frustrated with some of the, some of the, the way those things were laid out and some of the, the lack of text control and some other things in there. And so I started by just moving one notebook into Evernote and I have to say all the problems with Evernote are still there but they have done a really good job in making it easier to work around. And so you can completely turn off stuff you don't want. And the syncing's really good. And I've been in here like six weeks and honestly, like things are pretty good. And one thing I'd, I'd forgotten that I really liked and one thing that I would like to see Apple address in the notes application is some idea of shortcuts. And so I have three notes that I get into, if not every day, at least 
four or five times a week. Yeah. And they're buried in subfolders somewhere. And in notes, I'd have to go and find them or search for it. And I just need to be in there for, just for a quick second just to put something in it and then get out. And Evernote has shortcuts. They sync across all your devices. So I go in, I can enter this one note, add the line of text I need for, for the day that it is, and then move on. And that speed for that particular use case is really nice in something like Evernote. So uh, we'll see how long it lasts. I'm very, I really hope Apple makes notes more flexible in, in iOS 11 and in Mac OS 10.13. But for now, like Evernote's been totally great. So, so there, I even, to show you the depths of my shame, someone asked for a screenshot of my iPhone <laughs> and I hit no. Evernote and put notes back in place. Cause I don't want to get into it because no. it's somebody that you two follow and you would see it. And then I have to come clean to you then, but I've come clean to you now. I've confessed my sins and it feels pretty good to have we, it off my chest. We don't have time for this today. I know. That's why I did it today. Mm. And I'm in charge of follow-ups. It's never coming up again. Oh, God. Next. Moving swiftly on. Uh, and also, I think, I think the last of the features that I saw you uh, ending on a real high here, uh, some improvements to Mail.app. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, uh, you know, um, of all the system apps, I think Mail is the one that is the most behind the competition in there are some excellent clients on the App Store these days, you know, especially I feel like after Mailbox went away, it was a chance for other companies to sort of uh, not just rebuild Mailbox, but go even beyond. Uh, so even even if you look at, you know, uh, Gmail, Outlook, uh, Spark, Polymail, Newton, uh, Airmail, of course, there are so many excellent choices. And if you try those apps and then you go back to Apple Mail, it just feels like it's an app from 10 years ago. Um and Apple hasn't kept up with the pace of innovation, I think, from others. Uh, and some features that have become commonplace these days, like you can snooze a message or, uh, you know, you can you can integrate with apps. Uh, you can, uh, you know, you can have saved searches. That kind of stuff is still not available on iOS. So I feel like Apple is failing on two fronts with their mail app. It is not as powerful as their Mac version, which does have features features for pro users such as smart folders and rules and, you know, all of these other options that are not available on iOS, but they're also not keeping up with others. They're, you know, not following what other people are doing with snoozing, for example. And I think it's, it is a chance this year for Apple to sort of redo their mail app to make it faster because it's still so slow. If you try to search for a message with the Gmail account, it's kind of terrible. Uh, I uh, Personally, I never can find what I'm looking for in mail. Um, and they should just extend it and allow developers to integrate with mail, to bring in apps, and to let users more easily and more quickly manage their messages uh, by integrating with apps, by snoozing messages, which has become really a, a de facto standard in email clients, and just make it a modern email client because it's been 10 years of iOS, and mail, I feel it's the app that has changed the least. I, I I totally agree. It really seems like it has been more or less forgotten about. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and in the wake of, I mean, you just rattled off, I don't know how many apps, in the wake of this huge, like, like clearly people want more, right? Or there wouldn't be a new mail app every day. And right now those features are reserved for people who are willing to put up with the pain of having a third-party email client. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people that pain is worth those features. And it really seems like, like this seems really low hanging fruit to me. Like, clearly there's a demand for this 
Apple could do it uh, really nicely. And and with some of the stuff like smart folders, they already have it. It's on the Mac and, and, you know, bring that to iOS. But uh, the search, man, I'm glad you brought up search. The search is so bad. I use a Gmail account and two Google apps accounts in mail. And I have the Gmail app installed on my iPhone because I need to search something. I go to it because nine times out of 10 mail.app can't find it. It's like, that's really, it's really sad. And like the stuff is there. Um, you know, people always kind of point fingers at Google, at, you know, doing non IMAP stuff. Like well, the reality is Google is the biggest, if not, if not the biggest, probably one of the biggest email providers of iPhone users, like work with it better, have search that works and then give us these things that, that clearly we all want. Yeah. 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 So Federico, how did, uh, putting the video together compare this year to last year? Um, well, I, I started working on this uh, almost three months ago. That's when I I started my note of uh, wishes that I wanted to come to the iPad. And I had the realization of I should focus on the iPad. I think around March, uh, initially it was, uh, you know, I wanted to do both iPhone and iPad. But as I was putting together this outline, it just I just felt better about the ideas that I had about the iPad. And I was struggling to come up with iPhone stuff. And I thought, that was a sign of, you know, I should focus on the iPad because this is where uh, Apple is most behind. And so I contacted Sam and we got to work and, you know, I think in mid-March and we used Slack to communicate back and forth and to share mockups. Uh, fun fact, we used to communicate with Telegram last year and this year, you know, it's been much better, you know, using... Oh, yeah, Telegram. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, it's been much better, you know, communicating than search in Slack. It's been super fun. Uh, to to look back at the concept uh, and the the mockups that we did um, uh, during the initial stages, uh, uh, Sam shared with me. Uh, I think it's called Marvel. It's like an interactive mm-hmm. prototype tool. Uh, so I was able to sort of uh, understand the interactions that he had in mind, and so we had these very rudimentary mockups for the split view picker and the shelf, and that was really fun because I could actually try and see the animations. That was that was very fun. Marvel um, is very, very impressive. It's marvelous, yeah. you could even say, if you wanted to. Oh, Mike. Oh. Get you out. say it. If you, you wanted to done. say it, you could say yes. it. Don't say it. Yes, you're fired from it. the show. Uh, also, I think Sam uses Sketch to build all of the assets. Uh, like last year, uh, the video was exported at 4K. I don't even know what kind of computer Sam has. I assume it must be a Mac Pro or an, an iMac. I know it's a Mac and he uses Sketch. Uh, and I don't know all of the other tools that he uses. He's going to have um, a behind-the-scenes type of stuff uh, on the Cloud Mac Stories newsletter. Uh, so, you know, uh, it's going to explain this stuff much better than I can. But from my end, um, I had this uh, shared note. We were talking about sharing in notes uh, that I sent to Sam. And, uh, you know, I was looking at my ideas uh, and he was organizing sections. And then Sam, uh, you know, a month later, came back to me with the same ideas, but done in a sort of um, uh, storyboard structure. There were like scenes and uh, ideas for cuts and zoom levels and transitions. So professional. Yeah, it was very professional. And uh, from the get-go, uh, we had this... Uh, I looked back and uh, my first uh, idea was we should do a day in the life kind of theme to show the changes in practice instead of just having a like a gallery of mockups and features let's show how uh 
typical workflow would look like. And Sam had the idea of why don't we plan a vacation to Barcelona, which is a city that we both love. So nice that you two got on that vacation together, I guess, at the end of this. Yeah. <laughs> it's really sweet. Yeah. So that is perfect. Let's plan a vacation to Barcelona. So we try to imagine all of the apps that could be used. Um, you know, uh, for example, if you look, we have Duolingo in the shelf, which is the uh, app to learn a different language. Uh, and there were some details that I'm really proud of in the video. For example, um, because it's a day in the life, uh, the time in the system clock changes uh, throughout the day to show you that it's the same person using the iPad throughout oh, a day to, to, <laughs> to switch between multiple apps in multiple sessions. Uh, tell everyone, we've got a smarty pants over here. <laughs> There's some other stuff like uh, most of the changes in notes that I, you know, they're not the highlight of the video, but they're there. Like they're better uh, rich links. Uh, there's, you know, uh, new icons. There's the little animations. And... Uh, we try to replicate the feeling of last year, but it's also kind of different. Uh, last year, uh, I tried to look back and the core principle is the same, which is we should make a video that looks like something that could happen, that looks real. Uh, but last year, you know, even the drag and drop stuff, it was based on the copy and paste menu. This year we went with a, you know, more gestural sort of interaction and it looks a bit different. It looks more new. And of course, the shelf is something that doesn't exist on iOS. So I think this year we had to balance the the fact that we want to make a video that looks like something that Apple could do and that looks native to iOS, but we also have to invent these features uh, because they don't exist right now. And so we, we spent a lot of time on making sure that those new features that don't exist wouldn't feel out of place. Because something that I don't like is when I look at concepts concepts from other people they look like something that it, you know it doesn't belong to ios and that is not what i wanted to build um and of course you know uh, as usual i provided lots of comments and lots of notes to sam lots of bullet points in slack and notes and he, you know he iterated with the with the mockups with the static images and then he sent me back the animations and then back and forth it was very nice sam is a pro and he's a genius so uh, i'm very happy with the with the result and uh, also, the music came from Sam. He gave me two choices, and we settled on this like epic beat uh, this year. It's much more different from the happy music from last year, but I think it works. Epic beat, the name of the song. It's. I think it's called Epic Beat. Perfect. Yes, of course it mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really has the look and feel of something that could come from Cupertino in my eyes. Right, like I watch it and I'm like, you could fool me. So <laughs> you know, actually, last year I was talking to uh, a friend outside of Moscone, and it was like, you know, I gotta tell you, um, a friend of mine texted me a few days ago, and and he told me, oh, guys, I saw that you announced uh, the new iOS 10, <laughs> and and my friend he said uh, was talking about your concept, so <laughs> <laughs> we had to explain that. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, that that's the idea. I mean, I don't want to fool people, but I want to make sure that. You know, when you look at concepts, if they don't look native and if they break the illusion, uh, they, you're just going to notice this is something that can never exist. This is something that doesn't make sense because I cannot picture it. And we want to make sure that you can picture it, that you can see it, how it would make sense. And that's why they need to look like Apple videos to us because they need to make sense. They need not to fool people, but to be credible, to be reasonable. And I think if you cannot break the illusion, then you, you, get, you, you get people to start thinking and to start imagining things. And that's yeah. the beauty of a concept that you can start a discussion.
All right, you can find links to all of this stuff in our show notes today, which are relay.fm slash connected slash 142. I just go to maxstories.net. Um, this is incredible work from uh, you and Sam again this year, Federico. So Thank you. Bravo. And I guess this begins the preparation for oh, WWDC. <laughs> yes. Right? Like this is the start. So what we've got like two more episodes. Yeah, it's coming up quick. Stuff. It's coming up. It's all happening. So uh, buckle up, everybody, I guess. Uh, thanks to our sponsors this week, the fine folk over at Squarespace and PDF Pen 9 from Smile. You can find Federico online. He's at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. He's at appstories.net and maxstories.net. And uh, what other stories, Federico? Any other stories? Or are we good? Just the two? Uh, this is all the stories that I have, yeah. All the great stories.net, apparently, as well. That's where you also find him. Uh, you can go to 512pixels.net for Stephen's work. And he is at ISMH on Twitter. I'm at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. We'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to Connected, episode 142. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.